Welcome to the Rationalish Podcast. I'm your co-host Morgan Wack, and I'm with the prodigious Eddie Matthews. Welcome to the the coastal shores of podcasting, <laughs> Eddie. I've got a I've got a question for you today. Alton Towers, okay. a luxury line of hotels based out of Staffordshire in the UK, has recently banned speedos and other indecent male swimwear. Are you going to have to cancel your monthly membership? Um. <laughs> It's a complicated question. Um, so I have a few different memberships to different Speedo lines because I, I like I different elasticities mm. on it. Yeah. Um, here's the catch, though. I forgot my login information for the oh, different no. ones. So it's just and it's on an automated payment thing. Mm-hmm. But the ones that I'm subscribed to are kind of like specialty, niche, independent designer ones. And they gotcha. don't really have customer service, so I can't uh-huh. like reclaim my login credentials um, to cancel the subscription. So I'm just going to have to break the law, I guess, in this place. Yeah, I mean, if I know you, no law is going to keep you from wearing your speedo. So I think uh, I think the people at Alton Towers are going to have to watch out. Yeah, that's right. Do you want to give them a, a background on what we're going over today? Yeah. So when Morgan pitched me the idea of talking about sand um, as a precious commodity in um, the tourism industry and the construction industry worldwide, and that we're actually kind of a, at a crisis uh, when it comes to sand um, production, as it were, there's a lot that started to coalesce in my mind of past experiences of being with Morgan at beaches. For instance, the last time that we were visiting his grandmother in Coronado, we went to the beach, uh, which is Coronado's uh, community of San Diego. So we uh, went to the beach and I started noticing that Morgan was um, putting handfuls of sand in his pockets. And then I was like, hmm, that's kind of strange. Usually people shake out the sand when they go to the beach. They don't, you know, actively try to, you know, get in their pockets. But I was like, you know, Morgan's doing his thing. I'm not going to judge. And then I saw him unzip a duffel bag and just start shoveling sand in with his hands when I thought, when he thought I wasn't looking. And so I thought that that was kind of bizarre and I forgot about it until he brought up this thing about like how, Hey, in some parts of the world, sand goes for like 40 bucks a pot. And I'm like, Oh, I get it now. <laughs> That's a, it's a wonderful background story. You really painted a picture for the audience. <laughs> yeah. I, so exactly what we're talking about today is the global trade, mostly the glo- legal global trade of sand. And I think the reason it kind of stands out amongst all the other items and minerals that are illegally mined is because of kind of how ordinary and common sand seems amongst this kind of sea, one would say, of mineral uh, mineral compositions. But it is sand that it makes up everything from glass, computer chips, microscopes, TVs, pretty much everything except for, surprisingly, sandpaper. 
but the most important thing it's in is concrete. And do you you want to give us some background on just how important sand is to the global construction industry? Um, well, so apparently the world consumes, I'm getting this from this Guardian article yeah. uh, by Neil Tweedy. Of course, um, the great Tweedy. Actually, it's in The Observer. Which... Oh, never mind. He, he only got good when he went to The Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> Um, apparently the world consumes enough sand globally to build a wall around the equator that's 27 meters thick and 27 meters high. Do I have that right? You do. You do. Which is around the equivalent of about almost 90 feet. And that's per year. Right. Um, so that's pretty pretty mind-boggling. I think for, for most of us lay people, um, which, which I was until about 45 minutes ago when it <laughs> came, to the, came to the sand trade, um, I don't think about the components of concrete. But as this article says, it's like, yeah, concrete's just um, sand. <laughs> um, Morgan, help me. My brain's turning off. It's, it's okay. Sand glued You've got together. Sand. With... you got sand in your brain, man. It's all right. It's yeah. everywhere. Um all right, I'm going to run some facts by you just to give people an idea of how far this, basically how sand ties into the modern economy and how it's created this illicit industry that leads to not just uh, dredging and environmental consequences, but actual deaths and murders by sand mafias that operate in a number of countries around the world. So I want you to respond to these, uh, these facts in whatever manner you see fit for the proper amount of awe to each fact. So you already did my uh, twenty nine or 89 feet high border around the equator, which is, is a great one. Um, I want to say about in Singapore. So one of the reasons that sand has become such a hot commodity is not because it's so common, but there are actually different grades of sand. And only certain types of sand, the more... Uh, the less fine-grained sand that's more rockier and it can actually stick to the other ingredients in concrete is mm. the sand that is needed to build skyscrapers and basically uh, kind of underpin the foundations of the modern urbanization of the world. So mm. one of the main key components of this is that since 1950, mm. in 1950, basically 1 billion people lived in cities worldwide. By mm. today, it's almost 4 billion so over half the population lives in cities. This mm. has caused a huge increase in the demand for concrete, which essentially is what every single city in the world is built on, some combination of concrete and metal, especially in the developing world where a lot of this development has happened over the last 70 years. So how much... So, okay, basically 48 billion tons of sand are used in construction each year alone. And that's growing each year. Okay, here's, here's, here's your first fact. Between 2011 and 2013, China alone used more sand in concrete than the, the United States used concrete in the entire 20th century. I wish you could see my face right now because <laughs> I look like Tucker Carlson just heard that Berkeley students protested Ben Shapiro uh, speaking on their campus. 
one of that's the, my face one of right the true now. tragedies of our podcasting is that your reactions go very very much uh missed from from these uh <laughs> these podcasts all right I know. this the global sand industry in terms of basically in just in its use in construction is worth over 70 billion dollars per year Seven, seven, seventy billion with a B. It's a lot of fingers to count. Let me just tell it. Let me just put it that way. More than enough Man, to fund the illicit actions of a number of sand mafias. I wish, I wish this wasn't such a family-friendly podcast because, because my reaction to that is like my reaction <laughs> is like the guy who just heard that Christian Bale in the Big Short is uh buying all these you know betting against the housing market and he's <laughs> and he's pissed like he's surprised it's a niche reference but i i appreciate it <laughs> yeah no problem um, all right so here's here's my last and my my uh favorite fun fact the state of singapore has actually used sand from neighboring countries that it's purchased and that it's taken and this has led to the disappearance of 24, at least 24, Indonesian islands in the past two decades, and has actually led to an increase of the entire land mass of Singapore by 20%. What? Yeah, isn't that insane? And if you add stuff like the South China Sea, where China is literally creating islands using sand as a foundation for concrete, sand has become a very, very hot commodity, especially the types of sand that you can use for construction projects like that my reaction right now this is like the first time i saw obama's hawaiian birth certificate <laughs> i know you were a big i was gobsmacked a big birther before that but uh i was gobsmacked say what you will the guy respects uh, the authority of of the birth certificate so you got to give it to him he, he turned his tune as soon as he saw that. All right. So basically, why is this a, why is this a problem? There are a couple of different issues. Do you want to talk about kind of the environmental consequences or do, would you like to talk more about kind of the human consequences and the human toll? Um, I think we could probably talk environmental first and right, the human kind of toll. Um, so, yeah, it's hard because, well, I mean, they go hand in hand, really. But you see this at the at the border in the San Diego Tijuana border, you know, specifically that part of it that I'm talking about mm -hmm. where, um, you know, it had nothing to do with Trump. Like already the barrier, the, the barrier that they erected and the way they did it, um, is already like violating so many environmental codes, um, that they kind of had to get around. So they're kind of a breaking environmental law in, the U.S. by doing it, they're not doing it illegally. Obviously, like DHS, uh, Department of Homeland Security, signed off on it, so it's not like it's illegal. But they are violating like a bunch of environmental laws because the Tijuana Estuary um, spans, you know, a lot of that area, especially on the um, American side. Um, and so, basically, when it comes to uh, people wanting to build things, no one gives a shit about the environment, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think that it's really hard to um, tell developers or, you know, as we'll get into rural communities, hey, don't make money 
on this because it's going to harm the uh, ecosystem because that's just such a vague, you know, generalizable uh, thing. Like he, it's it's abstract to most people, and so most people can't see it in material terms, but they can see money in material terms. Agreed. I think that the fact that you pulled an example from the United States is helpful. And I also think it's helpful to put in context. Most of these problems come from the development of the global South, where concrete foundations for cities have really not been a thing, and where the vast majority of urban growth is planned for the next 50 years. The UN predicts that eight, eight New York cities in worth of concrete are going to be used in the global south alone per year going forward um, until... Um, so sorry for, yeah. just to verify for our listeners, uh, what are you referring to as the global south? What do you mean by that? Essentially, it's just a kind of sleight of hand trick to refer to everything below the equator um, okay. because of the way that the the world has developed referring to the global south basically encompasses a lot of what you would consider developing countries. Okay. Yeah, but mostly Africa. It's mostly Africa, Southeast Asia, other parts of Asia, um, some of the outlying, outerlying islands. It doesn't typically include South America, but it can also, depending on the, the situation. Um, the sand issue reflects issues all across the globe. In Jamaica, uh, in 2008, there was actually an entire beach stolen from a local community by... Uh, resorts on the other side of the island who wanted whiter sand so that their visitors <laughs> could feel more at home. So at the middle of basically in the middle of the night, they drove trucks to a local community, filled it with sand, and by the time people woke up, the beach was entirely gone. And they had to hire get this. There's an actual job, a sand detective who had to go through and sift through the sand to try to find out if the sand had originally uh, come from this other beach. Um, yeah, that's a real job. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Literally sifting through. Um, yeah, I think there's two things here. So I think that it's for, on one hand, it's hard. Sand seems like an infinite commodity in yeah. our heads, even though the data doesn't support that. Um, I mean, we even I use it as it a was, reference as like a grain of sand and yeah. And I think that it was, um, talking about how, it takes what a thousand years to like replenish through erosion sand. Yeah, especially through, like, when we're rock erosion. especially if we're talking about the specific types of sand, the dredging that comes from yeah. rivers, the local communities, and beaches, which is essentially the only sand that can be used in these kind of high rise, right. high scale construction projects. Because as the um, as our friends over at um, the Observer <laughs> Neil Tweedy said. Um, he's like, well, why not just get it all from the Sahara Desert? And so apparently that sand um, is too fine to uh, kind of like be bound together in concrete, exactly. so it doesn't work. Um, but um, yeah, so I think that it's hard to, it would be hard to tell a developing country that's just kind of, that's like creating jobs and creating capital through this. Like, hey, you know, when you you think this is a, a boundless commodity, but it's not like stop your production. Like that's just not going to happen. And so I think we're going to have to take this more seriously 
Um, and by we, I guess like each individual nation state is going to have to take this more seriously, like locally and talking about how to use, you know, kind of alternative, like they, they talk about different, like recycled concrete stuff that would lessen our dependence on sand. So I think that's like a good conversation to have and moving forward. But then there's just stupid, like ways of doing it, like the uh, Jamaican resort that you mentioned, but also like in Birmingham in the UK, they have like urban beaches and that's just so stupid and wasteful and, and just nonsensical. Especially and, since the UK is literally an Island. <laughs> At least right. Right. Yeah. You drive, you drive two hours in any direction yeah, and you're that's just on lazy. the beach. It's just lazy. It's just lazy. Agreed. Um, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. there's a couple of different aspects to this. It's a, it's a non renewable resource. It, even though it right. seems like it's infinite, like you said, and it actually has been linked to the dredging of sand from from beaches and rivers has been linked to a number of environmental consequences. Like you mentioned, the destruction of estuaries, it's led to enormous amounts of flooding in developed regions where the sand is taken up and these types of erosion basically uh, contribute to a redirection of former water streams and waterways. Um, it's also been linked to the uh, disruption of underground sediments that leads to basically the disruption of on-the-surface agricultural um, output. Uh, so it's, it's a true tragedy of the commons, especially in the fact that unlike a lot of the other things that end up being smuggled, what has happened with sand is that when governments who have actually stepped in in a lot of these places and said, all right, it's illegal to take sand without proper notice or proper guarantee from governments, it's extremely hard to police because although there are apparently sand detectives, it's costly and it takes lots of man hours to determine if sand has been stolen, especially if it's just going straight to construction. It's one thing if you're taking it to another beach and you can actually find evidence of it. But if they're just taking it straight to a cement uh, cement grinder and turning it into cement, it's literally impossible to tell if the sand came from an illegal hunt or illegal mining expedition or if it came from legal sources or if it was just dredged in the backyard. It makes it extremely difficult. I'd say the most likely parallel is something like the disruption of the Amazon rainforest, which plays into your role of, of how governments respond to these types of actions. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's bizarre about reading about the sand mafias is that the way, like there's certain people, um, these uh, farmers in Nairobi, right? Mm -hmm. Who, according to this Fair Planet article, um, by Bob Coide, uh, is talking about how there's certain, um, people who have kind of stood up to these, uh, sand mafias and turned down like a lot of money, especially a lot of money when in the context of you being a fisherman. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you're kind of, your know, whole livelihood's getting destroyed, but mm -hmm. at the same time they're like standing up for their, um, their land and not, you know, wanting it to be, uh, commodified and, and taken and destroyed yeah. and actually, um, uh, are, they put their lives on the line literally. And some of them like get stabbed to death mm -hmm. by yeah. these, um, sand mafias. Dozens of death every and, year. Also just to, not to interrupt, but, uh, sand mafias, yeah. is that not one of the greatest band names that has never been taken? Oh yeah. Well, it's taken now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, they could draw uh, more uh, eyes to the cause and also have an awesome death metal band. But anyway, continue. 
Um, yeah, the, but just talk about yeah, the human toll that this. Well, takes. yeah, no, it's just it's just bizarre to hear sand um, talked about like you hear talk like narcotics talked mm-hmm. about in Mexico, like it's the same type of um, like it just it goes to show that the the precious commodity does not matter. It could be anything. It could be rubber. It could be paper. It could be like. Uh, coffee like it, it the it commodity does not matter it's the human nature that matters you know um so it's it's just bizarre because um people are like literally dying and killing and like hacking each other to death over like truckloads of sand you know yeah i mean it, in the we it shows just how much governments need to pay attention to financial incentives as well because by making sand dredging illegal kind of overnight without any of the protections in place to stop illegal funding, they basically created a market for these sand mafias in places like India, where they've been linked to dozens of deaths each year. A uh, famous journalist spoke out and was murdered a couple weeks after specifically for these reasons. And some of the, you know, they're, they're like regular mafias, which is the craziest part. They don't just make people disappear. They end up kind of trying to intimidate others who would speak out with kind of egregious violent acts and other sorts of kidnappings and and local uh, protests and violence. And it, it really does show that you have to... It's basically the consequences of rapid development in a world where yeah. resources are distributed so unevenly, not just between countries, but within countries. It's the banality of it that makes it so interesting and kind of uh, terrifying and its deleterious consequences because it is something that doesn't inspire a sense of, of anger. It inspires kind of a laugh, which is very hard to organize protests around something that makes you laugh rather than something that makes you kind of angry or... <laughs> It wants some sort of revenge against the people doing it. When you don't necessarily have the moral high ground against these types of people, it's a lot easier to say, uh, go against somebody who's killing elephants for ivory, even if it yeah. is also inspired by this these insane financial incentives uh, because of the consequences. But the problem with this is it is a true tragedy of the commons because even dredging up from a river, it might not seem like anything's wrong, but then the crops die, the animals are gone, suddenly all the families nearby don't have any way to grow food or to fish for their families, and you can't even really link that back to the sand mining because it doesn't directly kind of follow in that trajectory. It takes a couple months before these consequences become known. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the whole delayed gratification thing. Um, and I mean, as far as like how to combat this, (laughs) I don't even like, like there's so much impunity in Mexico because of corruption in the narcotics trade. And we've been battling that for, I don't know, 60 years, uh, with sand, it's like the inherent product already is like. I don't know. It's just like, I don't even know where to begin because corruption is so hard to uproot anyway. So like you're saying, when you don't have the moral high ground about the product, how do you start to combat the corruption without something to point to and being like, Hey, here's, you know, all of these, um, addicts now that you've created where it's like, no, there's just a building. I think I've got a way to protect it. I figured it out. 
Oh. Sandcastles. Really strongly fortified <laughs> around every beach we can find. Yeah, that makes me think. You know, Wales has a ton of castles. Are those stone castles just eventual sandcastles? Think about it. That's exactly it. I think we need to, to get some <laughs> of our finest sand craftsmen on, on the case. Um, I think the, the really worrying thing is, like you said, it's so abundant but also so destructive at the same time. I don't know if you know about Dutch disease. We mentioned it on one of our other podcasts, but it is essentially the idea that natural resources, an abundance of natural resources, disconnects governments from the people in that they don't actually need the people's productivity to create funds for the government. Yeah. And this has been shown with oil and diamonds mainly and other types of minerals, but it leads to extremely damaging consequences for the population because once a government doesn't need its people to produce funding for basically its cronies, the government mm. collapses in a lot of cases. And as these developing countries continue to grow and expand, they will need more and more sand, more and more concrete, and it'll only become more and more expensive as environmental protections go up. And suddenly you've created mm. a resource that is everywhere, but is also worth a lot and could basically be used as a bedrock. It's super hard to police against. So you've basically created mm. a, a mineral that can fund illicit activities across the world based on these environmental and, and uh, economic systems and incentives that you've created. And that's, that's something extremely worrying because, yeah, like you said, sand is everywhere, but the right type of sand isn't. And because it's everywhere, you don't have to be that sneaky to figure out a way to dig up some sand. I mean, shovels, spoons... Like you said, hands, uh, shove some mm. sand in your pockets. Even just walking to the beach, you come back with a handful of sand in your shoes. So, Yeah, I think, the, um, I think the Guardian article, uh, one of the researchers in that made a good point about the reason this is such an insidious problem, which you kind of um, touched on before, is that sand is the one precious commodity that like people don't buy themselves individually. Mm -hmm. um, and yet... You know, we buy we buy water, we buy diamonds, we buy drugs, we buy, you know, like all these other precious commodities. You can point to individuals who buy it and the benefit they get from it. Whereas like this, it's not individuals. Yeah. I mean, uh, I so in terms of ways to combat this, one of the things that was mentioned in one of the articles was trying to construct kind of plastic sand, synthetic sand, um, which I think is probably not super helpful also because of the way that uh, plastic toxicity and the role plastic plays in kind of the the destruction of the oceans currently it seems like that would only be contributing to a different environmental problem uh, one of the other ones is essentially coming up with designs that use less concrete to build types of buildings in developing countries but even that is kind of a piecemeal solution um, and it really is going to have to be some sort of collective action, which we've seen is not necessarily humanity's strength. Yeah, yeah, to say the least. Well, I guess this is as good a time as any to announce that the rest of the this podcast, every episode will be talking about how we combat this problem <laughs> of sand being such a precious commodity. We're going to talk about windowless uh, buildings. We're going to talk about uh, communes without cities. We're going to talk about... Um, um, 
you know, what else are we going to talk about? I mean, if, I, if I had a nickel for every time you tried to pitch me an episode on communes, we wouldn't have to do this podcast. We could just we could just stop the, the global sand industry. Uh, I'm just telling you, man, monogamy is <laughs> dead. It's dead. And I think with uh, that sufficiently silly note, we will we'll end the podcast for today. Do you have any closing remarks on sand or have we gotten the point across? No, I just um, I think that this topic, you know, hopefully I, th- I think it's very in line with the, the ethos of this pod just being like trying to ask the right questions. And I think that for a future generation, I mean, I shouldn't even say for a future generation. I only say that pessimistically. We should be asking this question about how to actually confront this problem now. But realistically, for a future generation, this these are going to be the kind of questions that they have to really uh, kind of deal with and ask themselves and take seriously. So hopefully this uh, podcast gives you some things to think about and maybe maybe challenge you to ask the right questions and uh, or seeing or uh, questioning whether you're asking the right questions. And I know that was a paradoxical way of saying that. Next time you're at the beach, just think of uh, think of Eddie in a speedo, and you'll be good. <laughs> you'll be doing your part. <laughs> Precisely. See you later, folks. Thank you.